Uh, today's going to be different, right? Um, so let me back up. I've got to have a lot of introduction and then get to where I want to go for a little bit, and then I'm going to get to the Bible part of it. So just got to bear with me today for a little bit, okay? Um, I got, um, let me, often I do not talk about politics, America, all those kinds of things. Um, I mean, hopefully you'll understand a little more why today. Uh, but let me, let me put up a couple of disclaimers and some, some things and maybe answer some questions that you may or may not have had or never thought about. Um, from time to time, I get the question of how come we don't have an American flag on the platform? Um, you know, are we not, like, not patriotic? So let me default to that. Um, if you go to my house, as you come over the hill, the first thing that you see before you even see my house is my American flag. I have a flag flies 24-7. I have a light on it every night. lights up as soon as it gets dark. Um, I have backup flags, so as soon as it starts to look bad, I replace it. Um, I have a backup light, so as soon as it gets bad, it, I, I replace it. Um, you come up to my uh, breezeway in my house, I have a whole wall in my garage, it's nothing but American stuff. I've got the Pledge of Allegiance on it, I have flags everywhere. You go into my office, uh, you will see all kinds of military stuff. So no one can accuse me of not being patriotic or American, okay? But when we come into church, I have a little bit different view. And when we come into church, my view is this, the focus needs to be Christ. And him crucified. Don't want anything to sidetrack that. One of the things that I think has happened in America, and we're going to talk a lot about this this morning, is that we have, Christi we have taken and we have Americanized Christianity. And we have almost made Christianity equal to or synonymous with America. And that's a dangerous thing to do. And in fact, when I'm done this morning, you're going to see that America has never been a Christian nation. Okay? And just trust me, you're like, what? You know, do I leave now? No, just you give me 30 minutes, and then if you want to leave, you can leave before I get to the preaching part of it. But uh, it, here's the thing. Christianity is global. Christianity is about reaching the whole world for Christ. So when we talk about Christianity, I want us to think not American, but globally. So if I was going to put a flag on the platform... I would want to put a flag on the platform of every place that we as a church are working to reach globally. So I would want to see a PNG flag up here. And I would want to see a Mexican flag up here. And I would want to see an African flag up here for the Winklers. Um, and I would want to see an American flag up here for the CEF and for the Ladies uh, uh, Women's Health Center and all those kinds of things. Okay? And you're going, yeah, 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 okay. At one time, we supported missionaries to Iraq. Got a problem now? And if you put a flag up here, if you know anything about flag etiquette, the American flag always has to stand taller and higher, right? So that creates another set of problems, doesn't it? So rather than go through all of that, I've just kind of said, you know what, let's just not put a flag on the planet. Corporately, when we're dealing with all of us, that's it. Privately, do what you want, like me. A plaster flag everywhere. It's in my office. It's in my home. You, if, you, if you're around me any length of time, you'll know I am an American, and I am loud and proud about it. Okay? So I want to diffuse that. Okay? Off the bat. You don't hear me talk a lot about politics either. Okay? I 
have a political affiliation. I have political beliefs. And some of you, when we get along privately, you, you know that I'm very vocal about those. Um, and I have, I, I, I'm thrilled that people are involved in politics, okay? But I'm gonna say this right out. Politics is not the way to save this country, okay? You get involved in politics. You change what you can. You influence where you can. But it's not gonna save this country, okay? So having said all of that, now I want to tell you a chicken coop story, okay? I told you, you're going to remember this one. Um, I, I, first of all, let me back up one more thing. Um, a number of years ago, I started going to a small church pastor's conference. There's, there's one big conference where, where we get about 800, 900 small church pastors. Um, actually, your creed in that church, in that conference is how small is your church, Okay. Um, and so it's all small church pastors. They come from all over the country. And it used to be I go every three or four years. The last couple of years, I've tried to go every year. Well, this past year, because as the church has grown, I'm trying to stay on top of some things that are happening. And so it's been really helpful that way. This past year, there were two guys who spoke. One of them is Ed Stetzer. Ed is a, uh, he's the intern pastor right now at Moody Church in Chicago. Um, Ed is a missionologist. He studies statistics world over about what's happening in Christianity and that kind of thing. The other guy was a guy by the name of Dwayne Litton. Dwayne was a, um, uh, he was a president at Wheaton Bible College, at Wheaton College for a number of years. Now he's president emeritus, writes a bunch of books. These guys are in the process of writing books and they shared with us where we are as a country right now. Uh, it was about three and a half hours of material and I'm going to cover it in about 15 minutes. Okay. So that's why I say we're going to go fast. But before I do, that's, that's the basis for the Part A of this message, part B is my part of it, okay? But so I just want to help you understand some things. Because you've got to understand A in order to understand B to understand what to do. So, uh, but you've got to understand my chicken coop story first. So here we go. Um, my wife has, my wife loves eggs. She's an egg every morning. One or two? One, okay, one. Um, I, I don't like eggs. I just don't. I like mayonnaise, but I don't like eggs. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't. Uh, but... Uh, here's the deal. She's wanted eggs for years. Well, that hasn't been enough motivation for me. But Claire, on the other hand, went to Baumgart's and fell in love with the little chickens. So I thought, okay, for Mother's Day, let's go get chickens for my wife. Really, Claire. Uh, so I talked to some people, and they're like, oh, you got like four weeks before you have to do a, you have to move them out into a bigger area. Well, we got the chickens, and they had this little, you know, they were in that big round thing at, at Baumgart's. And so I borrowed a 100-gallon oval tank from Dave Schramm and put them in my basement. That was a bad idea. Because uh, I didn't hear them, but boy, that little multi stuff got everywhere. You know, that little feathery stuff got everywhere. And um, so I decided I had to move them out to the shed. Well, they grew faster than I thought. So I moved them out to a 4x4 four four area in the shed. Meanwhile, I'm going like a banshee trying to get this chicken coop belt. And I thought, you know, if I can get the inside of the chicken coop built, I get them moved out there, and that'll let me do the outside of it. So here's what I did. I, uh, oh, go to, go to that first slide, and then I can take it from there um, on the massive deal. Yeah, so this is the inside of my chicken coop. This is where they live for a couple of months or a couple of weeks. Um, they love this. They were so happy in here. Um, and this is all they knew. This is all they knew. Meanwhile, I worked like a banshee to get the outside done. This is the outside of my chicken coop. It's all fenced in, top, bottom, everything else. Uh, while we were gone to Chicago, I had a fox show up at my place, so I had to go bury fence and around the edge so he can't dig underneath it and close in the top, so they're all secure now. Um, but anyway, 
So here's the deal. So the door's automatic. If you know me, I automate everything. The door goes up at 740 every morning, um, closes. The light comes on at night to let the chickens know to come in, and then the door closes behind them. Um, the water's automatic. Everything's automatic. If I could figure out a way to shoot the eggs up to the house, I'd be <laughs> perfect. But I haven't figured that one out yet. So I'm actually going to have to go out and get eggs. But anyway, uh, so, so here's the thing. So now here's the deal. So uh, these chickens are used to living inside, and I've got this beautiful thing all set up. It's all secure, everything else. So I set it up to open the door every morning. And so this is the view that the chickens had from inside the coop. And for over a week, the door would go up. They would stand inside looking out the door all day. The door would go down at night, and the chickens never went out into the outside. This went on for a week. And I'm like, how dumb are you chickens? Will they ever go outside? It was so nice out there. I mean, you know, it's 70 degrees and breeze, and they got grass, and they got all this, and they're safe, and nothing can get them, and they got sunshine, and they stayed inside the coop. So one Sunday, Claire was over, and we were teaching her how to handle chickens, and we decided, let's just throw them out the door. Maybe they'll get the idea. So we literally, we're, we're passing chickens along, chucking them out the door as fast as we can. They'd try to come back in, we'd throw them back out. Um, and we did that for about 10, 15 minutes. Now, this is them yesterday. They love it out there. They're like, this is so awesome. Um, but here's the thing, okay? Um, what happened is, all those chickens knew was the inside of that coop. That was a whole other world out there. And when they got out there, they could say, you know, this isn't like the coop. This is different. This is strange out here. When we peck the ground, we don't hit cement now. We hit dirt, and there's worms. It's a little more dangerous out there, by the way. Because now... I have a fox in the neighborhood who knows that there are chickens outside. And it won't be long before they tell the possums and the coons and all of the coyotes and everybody else that, hey, there's lunch around the corner if you can get it. You've got to work at it, but it's, gonna, it's worth it. Um, it's dangerous out there. They didn't go out there because they didn't know what that world was like. It was much safer to stay in the coop. And I think that's where we are as Christians in America right now. We think we know what's on the other side of the door. Because we're assuming that the other side of the door is like the coop was. But it's not. It's changed. And it's changed dramatically. So I want to walk you through two main issues. Okay? The first issue we're gonna, they called the polarization of America. And let me share with you a couple of things. There is a survey that comes out every year, and it has since the 1970s. It's called the, um, let me get this right, the General Social Survey. And I'm sure you all read it. Okay? It, came out, it came out a couple of months ago. And what they do is they track, the, the question they ask is, do you attend church? Okay? Uh, in the 1970s, it kind of changed the question, how often do you attend church? Because do you attend church? People wanted to sound religious, so they'd say yes, and so the survey was a little bit skewed. But they've tracked it, and so when you go to it, here is a copy of it, okay? 
a whole bunch of squiggly lines. Let me just help you out with a little bit of it. Basic, okay, there's a pointer on here somewhere. I've got to hit it right. Okay, that's it. Okay, if, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. Oh, that doesn't work. Okay, so forget it. Um, if you will notice, from 1970 all the way to 2020, for the most part, the same amount of people go to church. About 25% of evangelicals attend church. It's, yeah, it goes up and down, goes up 31 point down a little bit, but averages out, about 25% of evangelicals go to church in America. If you look at Catholics, about 25%. And then they have a whole bunch of other groups in there. Black, they did black Protestants in there. They did mainline denominations, other faiths. They did the Jewish faith. Everything's kind of, if you look at it really over the big thing, everything is kind of stayed about the same with one exception. If you'll notice, there's one deal that from 1990 to 2020 shoots from 9% to almost 25%. You know what group that is? The nuns. People who have no affiliation with church. People who don't go to church. People who have no religious background at all. For the first time in America, American history, for the first time in America history, they're the largest majority of people in the country. 25% of the people that you come across this week don't have any church background at all. Zero. It has skyrocketed. And it is going to continue to skyrocket. This changes what you and I think about our country. Because a lot of you were brought up pre, and we're going to get to this in a second, pre-1950s or 50s, 60s, when it was starting to change, when a majority, a large majority, had some kind of faith-based background. That America's gone. And I'm going to suggest that America's not coming back. And so we are going into, we're like that chi those chickens. We're, going, we're, we're trying to go out into the world. We're trying to go out into the chicken yard and saying, hey, 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 you need to be like the chicken coop. That yard's different. And when you and I go out into the world, the world that you and I knew as America has changed dramatically. And it is going to continue to change dramatically. So here's what you need to realize. In the next election, the largest majority of people in America, to over 25%, have no religious background. So what are they basing their decisions on? What are they basing their um, things that, 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 that they promote and the things that they do? That's the America that's on the other side of the chicken coop door that we have to go out into every week. There's a second thing that has happened. Um, and Litton, this is the thing that Stetzer talked about. Litton talked about this idea. <clears throat> you have to understand that Christians are no longer the home team. When you go to a ball game, the home team usually has what? The largest, selection, the largest group of fans, right? 
Um, you go to a, and I'm, I, I'm not a sports guy, but you go to a Nebraska game, there's a lot of red. There's a lot of red, okay? Why? It's a home team. The home team gets cheered. The home team gets rallied. The home team gets applauded every time they do something good. The visiting team, not so much. Part of 1950, Christians were the home team. Some things started radically changing in the late 50s in this country. Um, so let me try to help you understand what has happened, okay? I mean, this is where some of you are going to... You know, you, you, if you get upset, you get upset. That's, you'll get over it. Anyway, here we go. When this country was founded back in 1700s, most of the world had, most of the Americans at that time had what we call a transcendent view of life. And by that, here's what I mean. They believed in a higher power. Something bigger than themselves. You and I would call it God. Okay? And actually, our early founders called it God. But it was a different view of God than you and I as evangelical Christians have. They saw God more as a clockmaker. They saw God more as a creator who got it all started. Um, some of them saw Christ, but a lot of them had more of a God-centered. The idea was, and, and again, if you looked at America in that time, 95, 100%, 95% of America believed in a higher power. There was, everybody had this vertical belief system. Some people believed it was, even today, some people believe it's Mohammed, some people believe it's, it's Allah, some people believe that it's, it's, it, it's this ethereal yin-yang thing. They believe that there's something bigger than us. So America had this vertical view, and our Constitution and many of our founding documents were founded on that vertical view. They assumed a vertical view and they assumed, up until 1950, that most Americans had a vertical view. The way, that you, the way that, in our country, the way that that's decided is by our Supreme Court. Our Supreme Court interprets the Constitution. So, in essence, five people decide, and I understand God's involved, but five people are key to interpreting what that Constitution means. When the Constitution was written... And you have a majority of people with this vertical view. One of the things about the vertical view is they didn't want the, they didn't want the government, they come out of England, where the church and the government were same. They came out of England and they said, we don't want the church, we don't want the government messing with the church. So they put some things in there to say, you know, we, we want to, it can't make a religion like they did in England. It can't infringe on it. It can't, and so they're, but again, they all had this vertical view of, Government just kind of stay out of our business, okay? That was the idea. And so when we interpreted the Constitution, that's the Mayan thought, was let's just keep government out of the Constitution. All right, let's keep government, let's just kind of keep, let's keep the government out of the church. So it just kind of separates them. 1950, there's actually a court document, an opinion by the Supreme Court, where they actually state in that document that a majority of America has a morality based on a higher power or God. That's literally what it says. And the dissenting opinion disagreed with that, but that was one of the opinions that, that came out. Since then, there's never been any mention of that. Because what happened is, from 1950 on, the Supreme Court started on a different direction. 
The Supreme Court, instead of saying there is a morality, there is a vertical relationship between God and people, they said it's horizontal. It's all about man. We are now going to interpret everything as far as man. And when it comes to God, we don't want him mussing. We don't, we, we don't want him involved in government. So we're going to separate it out as much as we can. So from that point on, when they got into legal arguments in the Supreme Court, they really took into account this idea of separation of church and state, and they started pulling God out of everything because they wanted to do away with this vertical idea in our country. So now everything, so now when they come to the, the issues, we look at it horizontally. How does it impact man? So what has started to happen in the last 35 years is things like this. Should we allow the Ten Commandments on government property? If you believe this, yes. If you believe this, no. God stays out of it. Should we have prayer in the public school as a Christian? Yes. Vertical? No. And so you have 35 years. Abortion. God created a human being. No, we don't acknowledge God. We see everything vertically. It's about a woman's choice. Um, should we... Um, we're dealing with this in the insurance industry. Should we allow a company like Hobby Lobby to, to say they're not going to provide an abortion pill as part of their insurance? Vertically, yes. Horizontally, no. And so what has happened is we have now, we have now interpreted the Constitution to pull everything that has to do with this vertical thing away from it. Marriage? Established by God? No, it's marriage is a social thing. So if you love somebody, it's okay. That's how we're going to interpret it. This is the new America. And you can wish all you want for it to go back. The only way it's going to go back is if you have a whole group of people who turn to Jesus Christ and then demand that their government do that. You say, you, you said we've never been a Christian nation. We've never been a Christian nation. Because I think this is one of our issues. I think we've created our own problem. You know why? Christian means Christ-centered. Tell me at what point our Constitution, our documents, all of our founding documents were centered on Christ. They never have been. Been centered on God, not Christ. There's a difference. And so... Have we, do we have a nation that was founded on transcendent principles? Yes. Do we have a nation that was founded on principles regarding God? Yes. Do we have a, a, a nation that was founded and centered around Jesus Christ? No. So we get this idea that we want it to go back to the way it was, but the, real, the realization is you've got to undo 35 years of Supreme Court rulings. And you have to understand this is where we are. And for us to wish for the, long, the, the old days back? For us to keep putting on Facebook, hit like if you want to see prayer back in the public schools? Okay, you need to understand this. When you say prayer in the public schools, 
You mean prayer to Jesus Christ or God. They mean prayer to Allah, um, Muhammad, Buddha, and every other God that has been established. Is that what you want? Because it's all, ver it's all, it's all horizontal now, okay, as far as the nation goes. We are now dealing with gender identity in this country, the whole gender identity. If you're not aware of it, you need to be because it's a big issue, okay? Um, I'm going to open your eyes this morning to what people, the gender identity says this. Here, here, here's, here's the fundamental problem of gender identity. Gender identity says this. I see me this way, and I expect and demand you to see me the same way I see me. Okay? And you can't be wrong to say that I'm not what you see me as. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you the fallacy. I'm going to show you actually a group that actually goes in and, 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 and deals with this without dealing with the Bible. This is the, kind of the way we've got to deal with it on this, this horizontal plane thing. Um, you know what the problem with that is? You want to know what the real problem with that is? Because here's what happened. Our, our country is sitting, okay, we have, to, we have to adapt to these people, so we have to acknowledge and identify their gender identity. Okay, there are six billion people on this planet. Billion? Yeah, six billion. You know what that means? That means there are six billion gender identity, identification categories. How are you going to accommodate six billion People who say, I see me this way, I expect you to see me that way too. It's, it's, it's the possibility. You say, I don't, I don't think it's that bad. Okay? I'm going to play you a clip. This was played for us, and it was, it's my note. It's, it, it's mine. You need to know, this clip is three years old. Okay? This was done and, um, by the Family Institute thing. Um, guys, hit the lights on this so it's a little easier to see. Um, this was done by the Family Policy Institute of Washington. Um, yeah. Oh, you got to hit the play. You got to hit the computer thing, guys. Oh, and is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think. Uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you, like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, 
I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, you're like, that's wrong to believe in it, because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? people have graduated are now in the workforce. This is the new America. These are the people who are shaping and making decisions and who we have an obligation to try to reach. And the reality of it is I feel sorry for these people because they're going through life with no foundation whatsoever. Saying that whatever happens, whatever anybody says is okay. And they're the ones that are going to be raising the next generation. That's our challenge. That's what's outside the chicken coop door. And I want us to understand that it's a dangerous world. But there are opportunities in that world that you're not going to have in the chicken coop. So I want to talk to you about it now from a biblical perspective. What do we need to do as Christians as we go forward? Um, Biblically, you've got to pray for your leaders. You've got to pray for, for those. God puts people up and takes people down. And so I, I think you pray diligently for your leaders. There are Christian people who are trying to make a difference in politics. They are the unicorn in the room, and they are getting bombarded even more so than others. So we need to pray for them and support them and encourage them. In the workplace, in the world that you and I go into every week, um, let me talk to you about what I think needs to happen. First of all, I think we need to redefine what it means to be a Christian. See, 
in our culture right now, if you ask, they do it in interviews and surveys, if you ask, 75% of people in America say they're Christian. They define Christian as, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not in jail. We throw that term Christian around a lot. Christian nation, Christian this, Christian music, Christian that, Christian that. We, we've got to get back to the point that we really understand what it means to be a Christian. That at the root of being a Christian is Christ follower. Someone who centers their life around Jesus Christ and his teaching. Somebody who has put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Somebody who has confidence in Jesus Christ, not in all of the other stuff. And we have to go out into a world and show them what Jesus Christ looks like in 2019. The way we talk, the way we dress, the way we act, the way we interact with people. Um, Listen to this passage. Um, I think this is the one that, that, that probably Paul deals with more than anything else. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. You get that? You're a citizen of heaven. Am I a United States citizen? Yes, I am. Proud of it. But this isn't permanent. I'm leaving this place one day. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to get back to the point that Christ becomes the focus. And I'm afraid that what's happened is we've just made this, this, this ethereal kind of you know, do-goody kind of thing and saying, oh, that's Christian. No, Christian comes down to have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I actually like the word disciple better than Christian. And the word that I like even more than that is Christ follower. Could your friends, neighbors, people you work with this week say, you know what, the one thing I know about them is they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Instead of just saying, oh, they're a nice person. No, no, no. The one thing that's true about them, they follow Jesus Christ. That's what we need to get back to. Where it means something. And where we define it to a world in which 25% of them have no religious background. They're nuns. And in a world which is all looking at everything horizontally, the vertical doesn't even exist for them. We have to go in and say, look, look at the way that I'm living. Let me tell you about the vertical. If you want to know about the vertical, look at my life. We've got to really define it for people. If we're going to reach our country for Christ, that's what we've got to get back to. Because these people out there have no concept of God or Christ or Christianity or any of that. And our citizenship is not here. I think we have to stop putting our faith and trust in the fact that America is going to get better. Do I want our country to get better? You bet. But I'm going to tell you what I believe as a pastor. Um, I believe that God is doing to us what he did to Israel. I've tried to help you. You've refused my help. I'm going to let you run it on your own for a while. Let's see how you do And I think it's where we are as a country. I think that's why you can go to a college campus and you can look at somebody and say, I identify as a Chinese six foot five 
white or woman and an intelligent person who has paid for degrees looks at you and says, well, then if that's what you believe, I'm okay with that. What? What? Uh, I'm not six foot five. Go get a tape measure. It's pretty easy to verify, but there, there's a whole generation that there's no basis of truth. We have to go in and represent. Did not Jesus Christ say, I am the truth? We have to represent him as truth. And it's important for us to realize our citizenship is not here. So I, I think as we go forward as a country, one of the things that we're going to have to have a really good concept of is an understanding of a theology of suffering. Because if you think that it's going to get better for Christians in America, I think you're going to be sadly disappointed. Okay? We do not have that vertical understanding anymore in our country. Second concept I think that we have to wrestle with is this idea that we are to be witnesses. This is, when, when this passage is written, the Christians are under severe persecution. Um, many of them are being tortured and killed in horrible ways. One of the things that's happening is they're taking live human beings, tying them to a pole, pouring a bunch of pitch on top of them while they're alive, lighting them on fire, and then the emperor walks through his garden at night with screaming live people being lit on fire and burning flesh. And the reason that is happening is because they called themselves Christians. And they would not bow to the emperor. They said, no, I'm, I serve Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower. And they said, then you're going to die for it. And they said, okay, tie me up. And so when this passage is written, it's written to people who are going through that. They're being thrown in the lion's den. They're being put in the arena. Um, the writer says, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He said, you have to go into that world, that pagan world, and be a witness. That's your job. That's what you need to do. Yes, they're going to say things about you, but the reality of it is when they look at how you're living, they know the truth, and you can rest because you've done it right. You've represented God well. You are a witness to God, and, he, and, and what has to happen is you and I are going to have to go into that chicken yard, so to speak, or that world, and we're going to have to say, look, I am a representation, I am a witness of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get comfortable here. I'm not going to try to adapt this world or make this world adapt to me. I'm going to live in such a way that people see my, G my Christ, my Jesus. And he writes to these people who are dying because they called themselves Christians and says, take the high road. Live. Not as vengeful, hateful, mean, angry, frustrated citizens. Instead, live good lives among them. So they have to think about what you believe. And the last thing 
I think, is this idea. And it's the idea of being an ambassador. Listen to what Paul says in Corinthians. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I do witness, but we represent the kingdom well. As though God were making his appeal through us. He said, you and I are to live in such a way that literally God could take Jesus Christ and switch us and it wouldn't be any difference. Because the way that you're acting is the way that Christ would. You're representing His kingdom. An ambassador is somebody who goes and says, let me tell you about my country. Let me represent my country well among you. Let me tell you about the place that I belong. Come visit my country. My country is incredible. We go into a world and say, look, let me tell you about where my citizenship is. Let me tell you about the country that I'm, I'm from. Let me tell you about what that country's like. Let me tell you about where I get to spend all of eternity with friends and loved ones who I've lost, who I get to see again. Let me tell you about a country that I come from in which there is absolutely peace. There is no sin. There's no anger, bitterness, hatred, wrath, anger, clamor. None of that stuff. It's all gone. That's the country that I'm from. And right now I'm here visiting your country. You call it Earth or America or Papua New Guinea. or Whatever it is, it's, it's just temporary. I'm only here visiting for a short time. This isn't my home. I don't need to hang on to this. I'm okay because when I leave this place, I'm going to a place that's incredible. I'd love for you to come with me. I'd love to meet you there one day. He goes, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, if you will put your faith and trust in Christ, you can be part of that kingdom that I'm part of. I'm an ambassador for there, telling you about my country. You see, what we're doing, I'm afraid, as Christians, is we're going out into the world and trying to make them Christian. It's a pagan world. We're foreigners and strangers here. It's not our country. Our citizenship is in heaven. America is the place that we live. I'm proud of it. I love it. I wouldn't want to be any other place on the planet. I really wouldn't. I fly that flag with pride. It's not my home. Heaven is. And I think sometimes we hang on to this planet just way too long. We spend way too much time, way too much effort, spending all of our time and energy on this place, forgetting that we're really living for the world to come. And while we're here, we can be ambassadors. And I want to challenge you because I think what happens is we get into the point in Christianity in America where we think the salvation of our country is by us making a whole bunch of changes. Salvation of our country comes from a whole group of people putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and centering their lives around Jesus Christ and His teaching. That will change our country. But just simply sitting back and going, you know, well, if I just wishing for the old days. Gone. This is the new America. And you, you go, well, I don't like it. Well, it doesn't matter if you like it. It is what it is. And, and we could stick our head in the sand or we could stay in the chicken coop, but the reality of it is there's a whole other world outside that door 
And unfortunately, it is a world that you and I have to be involved in all week long. So the more we can understand it and the more, for instance, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, this issue, the issue of abortion. Okay? I believe that, I believe that, you know, we have a whole bunch of people in here pregnant and expecting, and I believe that before they even thought about conceiving, God had created, God had already determined everything about that child. Psalm 139. I believe that God is the source of children and creation. That's what I believe. But I'm going into a world of nuns. I'm going into a world that has no vertical understanding at all. And when we walk into that world with our biblical worldview and our biblical vertical thing and say, God created, our big sign says that. They look at us and go, it's not God. You're nuts. You know, you just live in a fantasy. I think we have to do like these guys did. Walk into the world and say, okay, let's just talk about this whole horizontal worldview that you have. Can I be a seven-year-old and go into a first-grade class because I identify as a seven-year-old? Can I all of a sudden compete in a competition that says you have to be six-foot because I call myself a six-foot-five Chinese woman, you have to deal with it on their level of it. You know what I think? You know what one of my argument for the abortion thing is? Is it wrong to destroy the egg of an eagle? It's not born yet. It's just an egg. And every one of them will say what? Yes, you ought to go to jail for that. Question, why is it okay to destroy the egg of a human being that's been fertilized? I haven't talked about God. Let's go egg to egg. Why is that okay? What's the woman's right? She has a right to do whatever she wants. It's her body. So, if it's my eagle, I can do that, right? Oh, no. Horizontal argument. I have a vertical worldview. But they're not going to believe that right now until they become Christ followers. And you and I have to be smart and wise in the way we deal with these people. And part of that comes with understanding the world that we're now in. And that's my challenge to you. Now, you know why I don't preach a lot on America stuff, okay? Um, but I think this is where we're missing the boat. We're missing the boat. Um, what, what, by the way, what's interesting? You know what's interesting? And by the way, we're seeing it here too. One statistic that blew me away. You want to know one of the groups that is coming to church? That's actually growing? It's like 18 to 30-year-olds. You want to know another mind-boggling thing? You want to know one of the reasons? You want to know what churches they're attracted to? Liturgical churches. Churches that are highly structured, highly organized. You know why? Because in our world is changing so fast, there is no foundation, there's nothing tethered to, so they're liking the idea of going back to the ancient practices. That has an appeal because it's something that lasted through time. 
We have incredible opportunities in front of us, folks. Incredible opportunities. And I just want to challenge you as we go forward because I'm afraid what happens in America is some of us, we're so latched on to the kind of living in the chicken coop. We, we think that it ought to all go back to that. And we're hanging on to that and we're pushing for that and everything else. And we've got to realize we've got to move on. That, that, that's gone. We have to prepare and adapt for that real world that's out there now. And with 25% of them have no concept whatsoever of God or religion or church or any foundation for any decision. It changes the way. Our, our message doesn't change. But the way we approach our message has to be able to take into account where they are. So I end with this. And my challenge goes to something like this. Unfortunately, the America that many of you grew up in no longer exists. There are new challenges, and there are new opportunities. It's our job to show the world what a Christian, a Christ follower, really looks like. We need to be witnesses and ambassadors for Christ that we represent in this foreign land that we call America. Because our eternal citizenship is in heaven with Christ. My question to you this week is this. What are you going to do this week to properly represent the kingdom of God? to a very lost world. Because that's what we're called to do this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we would love for you to change the direction of our country. Lord, the only way that can happen is for people to learn to put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, that's our responsibility to share that message to a lost world. Lord, for those of us that had the privilege to grow up in a very different America that had a vertical focus, Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to adapt now as we try to reach a world that, Lord, knows nothing of God or a higher power or anything other than themselves. Help us, like the men of Issachar, to understand our times so that we can better minister to the world that you have placed us in. And when everything is said and done, Lord, we look forward to the day that we gather together in the eternal kingdom where our citizenship exists. So use us, these things we ask in your name. Amen.